I'm just going to share a little bit about my, my story, how, uh, how I got here. And uh, the reason I'm sharing this is because this actually ties in directly with, with what I want to talk with you about tonight. Uh, before I, I do this, if it's okay, I want to just pray one more time. I mean, we're a house of prayer. Let's, let's, let's do that. So, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you and we thank you that you're here. We ask that you would just take over tonight. Stir our hearts to know you more, to fellowship with you every hour of every day, to enjoy you, to see how much you love us, to hear your voice. God, overwhelm us with your love tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I got born again my freshman year in college. I went to SMU from 2000 to 2004, um, and uh, I met Matthew uh, when he started his freshman year after I graduated. And, uh, and he's awesome, uh, not only because he's a great friend, but also because I met my wife through him. So, um, yeah, matchmaker. Um, so I, uh, I'm this new believer. I, uh, my life was radically transformed by God. It was one of those experiences where um, it was instantaneous. I didn't even have to pray a prayer. I knew I was changed. Um, it, you know, I, I know that um, that's often associated. You pray the sinner's prayer. And I remember I had, I, had, I had been born again for some time, but I, was, I had heard about the sinner's prayer several months later, and I was like, well, I want to make sure I've crossed every T and dotted every I, so I'm going to do that. Um, but really, it was, it was one night, November 9th, 2000. Um, my life was radically transformed. And uh, from that time on, I could not help but to tell everyone my testimony. The problem was, it took me three hours to tell it. Um, and so, if you sat down with me, to, and you know, somehow I'd cornered you, and um, <laughs> started to talk with you about what God had done in my life, it'd be two or three hours later, and your eyes are starting to turn red, and you're like, that's great. Um, thankfully, no, a, a lot of people actually did appreciate hearing it. Um, but, uh, I just, I couldn't help talking about it and I ended up, uh, whenever I could, just, if you could give me a microphone, if you could give me some opportunity to tell people what God had done in my life, I would do it. Um, and eventually ended, in, ended up being involved in the campus ministry that I would eventually get to know Matthew and, and Christy through, um, and, uh, and actually, Tracy had spoken once at a, a meeting of that campus ministry, um, and that's part of how all of this has gotten connected. But um, I uh, was involved in this campus ministry and had been asked to become the chair for prayer and evangelism, the student chair for that. And so I was like, great, I don't know anything about either of those. Um, and so I started to, I, I had a summer between when I had been given that opportunity and when I was going to actually get to start doing it. Um, so I was back home in Florida uh, with my family working, and every day I would just try and find whatever I could. I was reading a Dutch Sheets book, um, Intercessory Prayer. I was um, looking online for anything and everything I could find and uh, stumbled on this website called fireonthealtar.com. And it was a collection of sermons and uh, just different things about revival. And it was, it was the way I got introduced to Lou Engle. Um, it was the way I got introduced to Misty Edwards. I had no idea who they were. I wouldn't even find out really who they were until years later. Um, but, uh, you know, that's where I got my first introduction to, you know, God is looking for a generation. 
that, that's, that's where I got that. Um, Christy, Christy asked me to do that uh, about a year or two ago. We were at one, the One Thing conference, and we're waiting to go into the prophecy rooms, and I just started doing that, and the whole room starts looking, where's Lou? Um, yeah, but... Um, God, fire, all right, um, which I have noticed if you, at least it seems with some of the leaders in IHOP that it, after they've been there for a while, the way they say God has changed over some time, it's no longer God, it's God, and I'm wondering if maybe they just, they enjoy his name so much they want to make it last longer, but, um, so, uh, so I'm scouring this website. I'm learning about the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, um, the 1904 Welsh Revival, the Hebrides Revival, the Azusa Street Revival, etc., etc., and became uh, just totally obsessed with these things. And I, uh, in particular, uh, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the Hebrides Revival. This was the one that probably gripped my heart more than any of the others um, in terms of reading the stories and testimonies from it. And if you wanted to listen to the, the evangelists that God had used in part in this revival um, to a recording, and you can find these online today. Um, I'll just let you know, it's a challenge. His name's Duncan Campbell. Uh, he passed away in the 70s, and uh, he has a very, very thick Scottish accent. Uh, so there is a challenge there in, in understanding everything he says. So, but you can find transcripts online, so if you, if you want to look at it, um, that's there. But I loved this definition he had of revival. He said, it's not a special effort. It's not anything at all organized on the basis of human endeavors. But it's a sovereign, supernatural awareness of God that grips the whole community so much so that work stops. And when he would talk about this revival, there would be times where it's mid midday, everyone just stops everything they're doing and they just want to go pray. And, and this is in a community of 30,000 people. Uh, and that's just on one island, and this spread across all of these, these islands. Uh, that's just the island of Lewis. Um, and this revival began in part because of an 84-year-old and an 82-year-old woman who, uh, they were sisters, I believe, and one of them was blind, and they um, lived in the island of Lewis, and they lived in a small house uh, right next to a police station, and... Um, they were burdened by a communication that had come out across the, Pres- the, I think it was the Church of Scotland and the Presbyterian Church in that area, saying, look, there are no more young people coming to our churches. And uh, we need to really seek the Lord and, and see something happen because something's got to change. And so these two women took it upon themselves to just go after God. Um, and they did that. And after some months of doing this, they contacted the pastor of their church and they said, you get the leaders of the church together, and you set two prayer meetings a week. We are going to pray from uh, 10 p.m. until 3 or 4 a.m. every Thursday night, which I find that interesting because the night watch here goes from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the summer, and right now it's going from 9, 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. So it's kind of similar hours, but uh, although we don't do it on Thursday nights, but... Um, so, so they start praying, and they get a vision. Um, one of these women actually has a vision where she sees a strange man preaching in the pulpit of their church, a man she's never seen before. Now, that would eventually be Duncan Campbell. Um, uh, but um, 
Yeah, there's more I can say on that part of the story, but this revival took place 1949 to 51. Um, in many cases, this is the part that just blew me away. Well, in one night in particular, 600 people showed up outside of a church at uh, 11 p.m., and they couldn't explain why they came. They just knew they had to come. Um, and the way Duncan Campbell explains it is that that the Holy Spirit had actually woken people up when they were in their beds. They were somewhere at a dance. There was this dance where there were a whole bunch of teenagers and 20-somethings out at this dance. And they, the way he describes it, they fleed from the dance as though fleeing from a plague. They felt driven to come to the church. And uh, that the Holy Spirit had given them to see that they deserved hell because of their sin and that they might find help at the church. And... Um, in many of these cases, 75% of the people who would come to the church meetings over this two or three years would actually get born again before they ever stepped in to the church. They would actually repent and believe. Um, I think maybe even in some cases, I might be stretching it here, but I think in some cases they were actually even getting baptized in the Holy Spirit on the way to a meeting. Um, so this is something where the, the power of the Holy Spirit was just crazy active in this revival. So I'm reading about these things, these revivals, these powerful moves of God. 1904 Welsh Revival, Evan Roberts, 26 years old. He's working as a miner in the coal mines, and he feels compelled by the Lord to start praying, and he prays one hour a day. Then he feels pushed to pray three hours a day, and eventually he's praying seven hours a day. Um, and he just, he just starts having crazy encounters with the Lord in the night, sees 100,000 people getting born again in a vision, and that's about how many people got born again during that revival crazy things that, that I saw, but I realized there's this thing, prayer was this consistent factor in all of these revivals, and it doesn't take much work to find that. When you look at great moves of God in church history, prayer plays a central role, not just a, a role, not a key role, it's, it's the central role, people meeting with God. And I started to pray, God, I, I, I don't know how this works, I don't know how to make this happen, but God, I want to be like a hurricane lamp filled with oil with a wick on me that's lit and you just throw me where you want me and I'll be a holy Molotov cocktail where you send me. And, and I, that's what I wanted. But I didn't know what was necessary, how this works. And I didn't know the teaching that you can find in the prayer movement today of, well, basically just recognize how much God absolutely loves you and it becomes very easy to pray. Um, it becomes, I'm not saying totally easy, it, it, but it becomes easier. Um, uh, that, that you can just sit there and be like, all right, I know this may look like a waste of time, but it's not. I'm actually getting to experience God's love for me. I'm not just reading about it. I'm not just talking about it. I'm actually experiencing it right now. But I was experiencing so much futility in prayer at that time. I didn't understand how to pray. I, I would try. It felt like so much work. Um, I was not seeing the results I wanted to see. And I knew, even from what I was reading, it took time. It wasn't going to be overnight. This, this was really a lifestyle. This was a total sold-out lifestyle. And I, I didn't know anyone who was pursuing it, honestly, at least who talked about it. And I'll just fast forward to 2009. I'm now working as a campus minister uh, with uh, campus ministry at SMU. Uh, Matthew's working in the same ministry um, Matthew had, at that point, he was heavily involved with this house. Um, he'd actually experienced this crazy encounter with the Lord where I could tell something had changed, something big had just happened. But I didn't understand it. And uh, 
he would talk a lot about the book of Revelation and the end times, and I would tell him, and, and this is essentially what I would say. I'd say, well, that's great. You know, that's cool that you think that. I mean, I'm a pan-millennialist. I just think it's all going to pan out in the end. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen so many people just argue and get upset about these different things. I don't really want to go there. I just want to focus on the gospel. And he would say, but Phil, this is part of the gospel. And I would say, well, I don't know about that. And, you know, go off grumbling and not really understanding. Um, and that also ended up being part of my relationship with Christy. We started marry, uh, we started to date. We weren't married yet. Um, we started marrying each other. Yeah, we started dating. In yeah, oh yeah. Um, we started dating in uh, late 2009, and there's a crazy story of how that all happened. Um, the Lord was really working in that time, and. I think Christy would see it as Phil was being very stubborn in that time. But eventually we started dating and uh, um, we um, really, I, I started to see her getting a passion for prayer and getting a passion for meeting with the Lord in prayer. And Matthew had invited me to come here a, a couple times. This is back when it was meeting at John and Tracy's house. And um, I, I came a couple times on Saturday mornings and went to the prophecy rooms, got prophesied over, great. Um, but I was like, man, that just seems so boring to me. Just sit in a chair for hours on a Saturday morning. I would so rather be sleeping in. Why would I be doing this? And, uh, but then I started dating Christy, and she said, Phil, let's go on Saturday mornings to Haas <laughs> and pray. And I thought, well, gosh, now I have to go. Um, and so I started going. And... Uh, you know, I, I really still did not understand the prayer movement. I would come, I would pray. I didn't understand prayer. I really didn't understand what God was trying to accomplish um, in that and what he wanted to give me, gifts, just tons of gifts that I just didn't see how much he wanted to just bless me and even to see the gifts he's already given. And Christy, over the course of the next year and a half, was just rocked by the Lord in the place of prayer. Um, she ended up going to the, the Fire in the Night internship in IHOP KC um, and before she left and after she left, I was, <laughs> I was persecuting, persecuting her a lot. Um, I was reading uh, various documents because they're very easy to find on the internet, attacking the prayer movement, attacking the, the life of intimacy with the Lord. Um, I would tell her she's just being a monk. She's just going off to go hide away from the issues of the world um, while I'm actually trying to go reach the lost and change the world. And so th this, was, this was the way it was going. Y'all, just so much. I, I have had to apologize to Christy a lot um, and Matthew. Um, but I, I really just saw this, this thing of what's, what's the point? I got an encounter with the Lord back in the year 2000. I've gotten to have other experiences with him since then. I just want to have other people have that same experience. And... In my mind, the only way to have that happen was preaching the gospel through evangelism, pastoral ministry, discipleship, and through uh, this idea I still had of revival, but I just had no idea how to make it happen or actually enter into it. Um, and I would eventually find out it's really very simple. Um, well, eventually, um, Christy and I, we get married in 2011, we uh, 
are raising support at this point. Uh, she had felt the Lord call her into vocational ministry. And so we're doing this thing and we're raising support. And I see her praying without fail almost every day um, and just being with the Lord. And I do something to offend her and she goes and she prays and she comes back and she's okay. And I, you know, I say something I shouldn't have said and she goes back and meets with the Lord and she comes and she's okay. And, um, and there were other things. There were other people who were persecuting her at the same time and basically saying the same things I had been saying to her. You're about being a monk while we're about reaching the lost. And, uh, I mean, there were days she'd come home just in tears and she'd be just meeting with the Lord and she just had the strength to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I, I realized she had what I wanted. I realized that she had found the secret And I was just at a point of saying, I can't do life this way anymore. Because the truth was, even though I wouldn't talk with people about it, I was almost burned out on ministry and I'd only been doing it for two years. (laughs) And so at that point, I was like, all right, I don't care even about support right now. I don't care about our, our finances, whatever. I just, I need God. I need something to change. I see what my wife has and I want it. And so I decide I'm just going to sit in the bedroom and, and, and try to pray. And it was not working. And I start reading biographies. Uh, years before, some Baptist pastor had recommended Reese Howell's Intercessor and Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets. So I start reading these books. And I realize there's something there. And then Christy and I both end up reading Revival's Golden... It's not Revival's Golden Key. What was... Why Revival Tarries by uh, Leonard Ravenhill and... I mean, every page, it's like, you know, there's some really great quotable quotes, but you also feel kind of like, oh, gosh, I stink. (laughs) There's sort of this thing. So I was like, okay, I don't feel very encouraged. But um, I saw another reference there to uh, a book, um, which was actually the journals of Jonathan, uh, not Jonathan Edwards, of David Brainerd, who was a missionary during the First Great Awakening and um, was... uh, a friend of Jonathan Edwards. In fact, Jonathan Edwards was the one who compiled this, uh, these journals. For those of you who don't know, Jonathan Edwards was the main known preacher. I mean, there were others who were very big, John Wesley and, uh, and others, uh, but uh, Jonathan Edwards is the one who a lot of people really point to with the First Great Awakening, um, where his, his ministry, his life, is, it was a key part of why that happened. And he would spend 13 hours a day in prayer and in Bible study. That was the life he pursued. Which, you know, there's this aspect of, well, that sounds great, but how does a normal person, you know, <laughs> have these kinds of encounters with the Lord? Clearly, he was in a, in a job, in a position where he could do that. But um, I was reading David Brainerd's biography, and I started to realize I was reading some of the same language I heard Christie using. I realized that he was talking about how fascinated he was with just wanting to know God. He read through the Bible twice through in one year, and you can do it even faster than that, but I mean, to me, that's, like, that's still pretty fast. Um, he uh, was just praying for hours a day, and that's actually how he got born again. He was doing this before he became a believer. Um, he just so wanted to know God, and Eventually, in this process, he, he goes out to preach to uh, Native Americans in uh, Delaware. And I started to see the same thing he was describing that I saw in the Hebrides Revival, something similar. 
He reports after a year of failures, then his translator gets born again. And then it starts happening pretty regularly. He would go to do evangelistic work among the Native American Indians. And he would barely start to open his mouth and people would start crying out for mercy. And they would just be shaken under the power of God. People started going into visions, started having dreams where Jesus is visiting them in dreams. And the funny thing is, David Brainerd's like, I don't know what's going on with these weird dreams and visions, but it seems to be directing them to the Lord. So I can't really support this kind of experience, but I support that they're getting to know God. It was sort of an interesting, he was very much into this particular way of thinking that was very popular at the time that really didn't accept dreams and visions. Um, But uh, at the same time, he couldn't deny God was doing something. Um, And I think it's funny, God's actions supersede our theology most of the time. Um, He's just going to go and just do it, and we may not understand it, and he's just going to do his work. Um, And I started to realize, uh, also in this time, I started, uh, Christy was also starting to say, Phil, I I really want to go on Thursday nights to Haas. And at this point, I was very much committed. I want to be in the church we're committed to. This is where I've been my whole life as a believer. I'm not going anywhere else. Um, And I don't want people to think that we're kind of, you know, playing both or whatever. I I don't know. To me, it just, it felt like there was some element of division in it. And I kept saying no. But as God was doing this work in my heart, I was like, all right, let's go. (laughs) Let's go to some Thursday night services. And, And it was one in particular, Tracy preached on the Song of Songs that night. And, uh, it was the first time I'd listened to the Gary Weens like eight hour teaching a cup, like two or three times. And I was not getting it, but she preached and it was like, just, okay. But also during worship that night, I was just like, God just started giving me this download. Phil, the purpose of teaching is me not having good doctrine. The purpose of having good doctrine is me not being able to prove things to people. And just one thing after another where he's just telling me, Phil, the point of life is me. The point of what you're going after, what you're doing, everything is me. If no one got saved, but you knew me better, you did what you were supposed to do. But there's this element in it of people will get born again because I got to know them better. People will be changed. I will be changed, and that's why. <laughs> um, so I want to, um, I'm going to talk some more about that, but I want to hit on really where scripture is telling us exactly that same thing. And I know there are, most of the people in this room agree with this idea and believe it. It's, it's just God. But we need a reminder sometimes. I, I needed a reminder. I've continually needed reminders. Um, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And that one I keep going to when I think of when things are really rough. (laughs) He endured it anyway because there was joy set before him. So if I look at him, I see the joy. And his joy was that I got to be with him, that I would be reconciled to him. Hebrews 11.6, this one is so key. Believe God is and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I find that interesting because this is where the word is talking about in a gospel context about our salvation. You know, we, we can't earn our salvation. We don't get, just like Jared was saying up here, we don't get more of God through spending more time prayer in prayer or worship, but we can get more revelation. 
we can receive more understanding. We can start to experience a level of intimacy that was always available to us, but we'd never entered into before. So that's why it still is rewarding to diligently seek him. Um, yes, you know, we, we're saved, we're born again, but it doesn't mean we stop seeking him. He hasn't stopped seeking us. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Um, 1 John 4.19 is one of my favorite ver- verses. We love because he first loved us. We look to him to define love for us. And if we're not looking to him to be our definition of love, then whatever we're calling love is based in something that isn't him. Because love is not just a concept, love is a person. And if we want to know love, we have to know that person. And if we want to grow in love personally, then we have got to grow in our relationship with that person. Again, not saying we, we somehow expand that relationship, that we weren't given a full relationship before. We're, we've been given full access, but we have to walk into it with confidence. Christy and I are married. I have full access in this marriage, but if I don't spend time with her, I'm not taking advantage of my marriage. I'm not taking advantage of the relationship that's available to me. John 14, verses five to seven. um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is answering this question. Well, we don't know the way. Thomas is saying to him, and he's saying, well, I am the way the truth, and the life. And so often in the church today, we are often looking for what is the way? What is the formula? What is the process? That I just need to go through this process and everything's going to be better. And Jesus is saying, you know, I, I'm the answer you're looking for. I am the way. And there's so much debate in the church right now about truth. Um, and my goodness, it, it's sad even pulling up a Facebook and you just see the war that's going on even regarding the issues in our society right now. And it, it's just, can we just look to this person? If we look to this person, the answer will come. But most of us, and I'm not talking about just one side of the aisle, conservative, liberal, every aspect of the church, we so often try to look to, well, here's my formula, here's, here's what works, here's the way I think it should be, here's my reading of scripture, instead of just going to the Father. It's not what would Jesus do, it's what is the Father doing. He gave us access to the Father. We look to the Father, he shows us what to do. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's available to us, we can live that way. Now, when I'm even saying this and talking about it, I'm telling you as someone who is not living in the fullness of this yet. But the key word here is yet, I'm pursuing this. And I'm talking with you about this, and I'm going to be saying this again later. This is an invitation for us all to pursue this. Genesis 3, the Lord showed me this in in a powerful way. I just, just, it blows me away. We look at Adam and Eve. God gave Adam instruction about what not to do. Then we see Eve get religious with that instruction, giving more answers to it. And I think Adam may have actually given her that first. Don't even look at it. Don't even touch it. And instead of dialoguing with the snake about what right and wrong are and the true character of God, even in that moment, Adam or Eve could have just said, God, could you talk here? Could you just come and talk with us? There's some questioning coming in about your character. We need you to talk with us about this. We want to trust you. 
And I think that's a big problem in, 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 in my own heart. I've seen it, but also that the bride has forgotten that she has full access to her husband. And so she's looking for the, the love letters of her husband. She's looking to his word, but she's still forgotten that he's there, he's, that she's been given full access to him. And so while we need this Logos word, we absolutely need the rhema word. And I'll just be honest again, this is something Christy was, has walked in for so long, and it's only been recently I've started to get, where she would talk about how she just burns for, I just want to hear from the Lord now. I want his word for today. I know you like the Bible. That's great. I love it too. I just, I want to hear him today. And that's, that's really evidence of a heart that's in love with him. I wouldn't be walking around just, you know, happy that I hadn't seen Christy in six years and being like, you know, it's good. I've got, I've got old love, love letters that we've written to each other. I'm good. No, I want to be with her. I'm married to her. I want to actually engage in relationship with her. Um, in Ezekiel 14.11, there's a culture that's, that God describes that's very similar to ours. They pick and choose where they want a word. So uh, they are building idols. They're worshiping different idols. They're summoning up demons and trying to get you know, instruction on what their next steps are. Um, and the, the Lord speaks through Ezekiel and says, I'm confounding the words you guys are getting, especially when you come to a prophet of Yahweh, when you come to a prophet of God to hear. I'm confounding these words. I'm in fact even giving a lying spirit to the prophets because you're so busy trying to pick and choose where this life is that you're going to get that you're not looking to me. And, I, and he says powerfully, because I want you to be my people and I want to be their God. And sometimes the answer we're looking for is being confounded because God is saying, I don't want you to keep looking for answers. I want you to look for me. And this is true in the church. We were hearing about this recently at SMU, that this is the nature of most college students who are coming to Christian ministries. They see them as an opportunity to go get what I need for the week, and now I'm going to go and get what I want from somewhere else later. Um, that, that it's a marketing sort of setup. You just come and you make your purchase. You have an exchange of goods. You come, give me peace, and then I'm going to go on and go to some other deity that I believe in or some other drug, sex, alcohol thing that is going to give me what I think I need. Um, and God's saying, no, I, I, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. You don't have to keep going to these other places. But even in the church, it doesn't even have to be the blatant sins. It can be ministry. It can be service. It can be any number of other things that look like good works that, in fact, we're using as the thing we're feeding on or even watching TV. I like watching TV, but... So, all right, uh, there's more I want to say on this, but um, back to the Hebrides Revival. So there was this scripture that in the Hebrides Revival that they um, kept seeing come up. And I didn't know where to find this in the Word, but it's in Isaiah 44. And this is the key scripture that um, the two elderly women would claim in regards to this revival that they knew was coming. Um, And it's specifically Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. 
See, they didn't have their offspring and their descendants in their church meetings, and so they're claiming the scripture. Our offspring, our descendants, our kids are going to come. They're going to come back. And this is what they would stand on. And I didn't realize that this was Isaiah 44. I just was um, praying and, and had just listened to the account of this. And I opened my Bible and I find I already have my marker in Isaiah 44. And then I also realized that today is 4-4. Today is April 4th. And so I believe this is a word from the Lord for us today. That God is wanting to pour out his water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. That he wants to pour out his spirit upon our offspring and his blessing on our descendants. I don't think that's just the future generations. I think that's now. Verse 4 really grabbed my attention. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. That sounds just like Psalm, chapter, Psalm 1, verse 3. Um, just like a tree by flowing streams. I'll pull that up. This is my analog Bible. I don't have the fancy digital one in front of me. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, uh, the one who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I believe that God is saying to us that this is an hour where if we just go to him, the season of fruiting is coming. And if we would focus on him, not trying to find the man of God to give us the word for today, there's this system, this old way of doing church, that you go to the man of God, and they're going to tell you the word that you need for today. But God is calling every one of us to where we actually go directly to him. The veil has been torn. Jesus is our mediator. We go directly to the Lord. We don't have to look for our pastor to tell us a word from the Lord. We can actually get a word from the Lord for ourselves right now at this very moment, wherever we are, if we're in the bathroom or if we're at work or driving down the road ready to cuss someone out, it doesn't matter. We can get a word from the Lord in any of these circumstances. And I actually believe that God is even confounding the way we've done church traditionally in America. I, I believe that the way church has been done in America is under attack, but I don't think it's under attack by the devil. I think God is actually confounding this, and he's saying this, this superficiality I'm tired of. I'm tired of just coming to a man to seek an answer from a man. There's no difference between that and idolatry. I want you to come to me because I'm here wanting to know you, and I want you to know me. He is replacing this dead form of what was once a pure temple, just like the first temple, of one generation and is now perverse in this generation because that's what happened to the first temple in Israel, allowing it to be destroyed so that a new foundation, if you look in Isaiah 44, I was just telling you the first part of Isaiah 44 was what they claimed in that revival. Well, at the end of Isaiah 44, Isaiah is prophesying the rising of Jerusalem when it is rebuilt and the second temple. And so a new foundation is going to be laid for this temple of Zerubbabel where each one of us goes straight to God instead of to a system and God pours out his spirit and water on the thirsty ground. We've been satisfied with going to church to be fed rather than being the church, feeding on God at all times in all places such that when we get together, Power is released at levels we've never seen before because we've gotten absorbed and lost in the secret place with the lover of our souls. Christy, again, was trying to explain something to me, and this is just this past week, about how her heart is moved for these secrets of God and how her mom would talk about it, and it fascinated her. And I 
I really didn't understand it, and I was just thinking in a different way, and then the Lord was showing me. There is so much joy in just discovering the secrets of God, secrets that you cannot communicate to another human being, secrets that cannot be explained in words, but you know you've just seen a part of God, and that that part of God is giving you sustaining manna for today. We are going to see some fruit yielded in due season, and that season is coming fast. And I'm just admitting right now, I've been looking everywhere but God himself. And when I and when we believe that simply to know him better, not for the sake of telling others about what we've experienced or what we know, but to advance in intimacy with him in the secret place, where secrets are disclosed, that we are incapable of describing or ever relating to others through human words, that is when we're ready for not only revival, but for the normal Christian life. Because that's normal Christianity. Normal Christianity has been taught to us that it's coming to church, it's sitting in a pew, it's sitting in a row, listening to someone talk, watching someone perform, and we're critiquing, you know, well, I don't know what I think about their choice of that song, and I don't know about, you know, well, pastor is a little off in his theology today. And instead, that the gathering of believers is meant to be a love feast. That's what it was called in terms of when they would have come and have communion. There, this is meant to be a love feast where we are so full of the love we've been experiencing from the Lord. And I'm not saying if you're broken, if you've had a hard time, a hard week, hard day, hard month, that you can't come and be among believers to, to experience some healing and some love. Great, that's what this is for. But it also means that there is something available to you right now when you're not in this building that you can experience. And there's something available to you where if you want it, you can come here. There's a reason we keep this place open at night is when you're going through that place and that time where things are hard and you need a word from the Lord, come and get one from him. If home is too noisy and there's too much stuff going on, that's what this place is for so that you can be that mobile house of prayer, which you could be anywhere, but if you just need to get somewhere, here it is. Obedience is meant to be for us not a matter of boasting, but a matter of one lover enjoying the other. And that is where... God's kind of obedience comes in when we're continually enjoying him and we just want to hear him and experience more and more intimacy with him and experience deeper and deeper revelation with him. Not for the sake of proving anything to anyone else, but just for the sake of knowing him. Then obedience is just like, well, I want to know you more and you've asked me to do something, so I'll go do it because I know I'm going to discover some more about you as I obey. The thing is, even when we disobey, God still reveals other things to us about himself as well. And if we haven't been living that way and pursuing that, it's okay. It's available now. Today's a good day to start. Again, I'm not speaking as someone who's arrived, but I'm just hungering for something that I want. And every one of us has available to us. That we can hunger. We can be consumed with a passion, not for the things we can gain from God. We're going to get things that he's going to give us. He's going to give us things. That's part of his nature. He's a good daddy. But for these secrets, this intimacy, this relationship we can experience that no one else is going to see. If the worship team could come on up. Um, guys, I'm not speaking as, as, as though, you know, this is like so simple. It is simple. Um, we just meet with God and fall in love with him and everything else follows. But the hard part is that we have to recognize that something else has been an idol 
Something else has been more important to us than him. In ministry, it's very easy to make ministry an idol. But the fact is, you can do that with anything. You can do that with a job. You can do that with a family member. I know what it's like. I've, I've worked retail for two and a half years. I've worked as a banker for a while. I know what it's like to try and live for the Lord in a, in a regular day-to-day work environment. I know it's hard. But there are those lulls that always show up in whatever job you're in. There are those moments where you can just enjoy the Lord. And that can be the very fuel that's not only going to keep you through that day, but can actually give you a rhema word right now for this person that you just ran into who's cursing God, and all of a sudden now they're praising God because you're just being in love with God and you can't help talking about him, not because you're trying to talk about him, but because you're in love with him. Because God just showed you some secrets that there is absolutely no way you can communicate these secrets, so you're somehow you're just going to talk because you just want to talk about God is awesome and you just want to say, man, he showed me these great things. And I can't explain it to you, but you've, you've got to know him for yourself. That's how I felt when I first got born again. I wasn't trying to get crowds for myself. I just I had to tell everyone what happened. But this is available, and I, I want to invite the prayer team to come up. If you need prayer for you know, a sickness or a family member or some issue in your life, great. We want to we pray for you, and that's why I've asked for the prayer team to come up. But if you, uh, on this other side, you, you're like, I want to hunger for this. I want to pursue this life um, of getting to know God, just not for any other reason, just to know him more, just to experience him more. Yes, I want to see revival. I want to see circumstances change. I want to see my family get born again. I want to see my boss get born again. I know that feeling. Oh, God, I want to see my boss get born again. Not Matthew. I know he's, he knows the Lord. Um, but I've been in those situations where, in fact, I was even opposed because I was a believer. Um, but if you're, if you're in that place, I just I want to see revival break into my life. I want to see that fire come into my heart again. I want you to come up, but you don't need someone to pray for you. You just come and talk to the Lord. You're going to start hearing his voice as he starts speaking things to you, secrets to you, what he thinks of you, how much he loves you. And if you're in that place of where I I can't hear the voice of the Lord, I've tried, I've tried to pray, and I'm not hearing his voice, then yeah, go ahead, come up. We want to pray for you on that that too. But if if you're in that camp of this, I, I hear his voice, I love him, I want to know him more. I just, I haven't been catching fire in this. Then come up and meet with him. I believe this is the key to revival. For us. I believe that's the key to what's going to break open this city, is when we are so in love with God that everything else doesn't matter. But we'll do what he asks us to do. We just want him. We love him. So Father, I just thank you that you love us. I thank you that you, you've given us full access to you, to your son. That we can be those trees planted by streams of water. That we just suck up all that Holy Spirit. We just focus on you. And out will pour from us the fruit of revival. Out will pour the fruit of faith and joy. Out will pour the fruit of family members getting born again. Out will pour the fruit of our job situation getting better. Out will pour the fruit of our financial situation transforming. God, we want you. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you tonight. We just ask that you just break open our hearts, open our eyes to how much you've given us. In Jesus' name.